huge film fan, movie fan. I say film because I don't want to, you know, documentaries. I do love documentaries. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I love just about every type of movie that you could think of. I love horror. I love thriller. I love drama. I love comedy. I love historical war movies, anything. As long as it's done well, I love it. And obviously, you know, one big thing about movies, especially fiction movies, is it gives people a chance to escape and and kind of live vicariously through a character whose life is being scripted by someone who is putting all of the right pieces in the right places at the right times in order to tell a compelling, unique story. Now, the reason these feel like an escape is because it's highly unlikely that normal day-to-day life is going to go like some of these movies, like rom-coms and romantic drama movies. It's it's crazy how many people live by the idea that that is what romance or love is supposed to be, is what they've seen in the movies. That's the whole point. It's an escape because it's fiction. That ain't the way it happens. You know, how many women or girls have you heard use the phrase that they want to have a fairy tale romance or a fairy tale wedding or a fairy tale whatever? They literally want to live in this fictitious world. Guess what? In fairy tales, there's also ogres that eat you. So, yeah, part of the story seems all hunky dory, but it doesn't necessarily mean you want to live in that world. We just want the parts that benefit us. You can keep your stupid ogre. I am the type of person who gets heavily emotionally invested into the movie that I'm watching, again, if done well. And even if it's done like shit, I will get heavily invested into my hatred of the film and and everything that's wrong with it. So still a, a strong emotional attachment. With sad movies or dramatic movies that are even just moving or touching, yes, I am a big fucking emotional weepy pansy that can cry very easily, even if it's a movie I've seen more than once. That's almost worse because now I know certain scenes are coming up that will tug on me and... I will start to get emotional and well up even before I probably should because now it's the anticipation. I remember when I was a little kid and E.T. had just come out and my mom took me and my brother who's two and a half years older than me, but she took us to the movie theater while my dad was at work, so it was a weekday, and took us to see E.T. I I don't know how old I was. Uh, Okay, I looked it up. Really quick, that's the joy of production, post-production, where I don't need to make you wait while I look it up. It came out in June of 1982, so I would have been seven going on eight. I'm assuming we would have seen it before my birthday late in the summer, so guessing I would have been almost eight years old when we went there. There was basically two really moving scenes in that movie. The first one was when E.T. basically dies, and you have to see him whisked away from this home they've been hiding him in and all of these sterile environments with people in hazmat suits treating him like he's the plague and he's turning ashy and his heart light is dying. Turn on your heart light. I used to fucking love that song. I may still own it on 45. Thank you, Neil diamond for that gem of a contribution to musical history so yeah et dies and then the other scene would be when et leaves and goes home at the end both scenes turned me into a blubbering 
puddly mess of weepy fucking pansy in the middle of the theater. So much to the extent that at the end of the film, my mom had to carry me into the women's room to calm me down and wipe my face, dry my eyes. She then thought it would be a great idea later that evening when my dad got home from work because the movie was so great. Let's go see it again. So little seven going on eight-year-old Jeffy had to endure those horrifically sad scenes again in the same day. Not cool, Mom. Not cool. I'm going to assume I kept it under better control with my dad present because I know just the idea of his little pansy son weeping at a fucking alien movie would just embarrass the shit out of him. So I probably kept it under better control just for that reason. I don't really remember that well. A lot of the the story that I know and remember is based on stories and recollections that my mom has, has shared with me through my life because this was a moment that she remembers very well due to my weepy, pansy-eyed nature. But yes, there's still plenty of movies nowadays, or again, ones that I've seen before that will bring me to tears. We don't need to keep talking about weepy, pissy-eyed Jeff. That's fine. We can move on, because I do actually have things that I want to discuss. Kind of the whole foundation of, of what the topic for this episode was, was I was watching a movie where a main character is climbing through an air duct. Now, we've all seen this a million times, and yes, I understand suspension of disbelief. This is why I hate musicals, because I can suspend disbelief to watch a lightsaber fight, because at least this is taking place in a different galaxy far, far away, in a different time. We don't know what the technology is, so you can't really poo-poo that and say, there's no lightsabers, that's not real. That's the whole suspension of disbelief. Now, suspending disbelief that an entire office full of people, one guy is going to start just singing in the middle of the office, I've had a bad day. The copier won't work. And the coffee machine is broken. And then the rest of the people start to look up from their cubicles and start singing along with him. And before you know it, they're marching down the street. People are getting out of their cars. They have a drum majorette leading them. And it's this huge, grandiose song that I cannot suspend disbelief for. I don't like it. But a lot of these movies, yes, I, I know I already said these are escapes because they're fiction and it's not really the stuff that would normally happen. However, a lot of these movies, like especially horror and action or thriller movies, they're trying to put you into a situation where you feel like this could be you and this could be the situation to heighten the, the fear or the tension that you're feeling as a viewer. That is their job as a director. So ideally, they want to make it seem like it's not a far escape from your reality just far enough that you could feel safe, but you're still going to be tense watching this mofo go through this stuff. So back to crawling through an air duct that you have to wiggle through, and there's no room. I mean, your back is up against duct work, your stomach, obviously, both of your sides. The claustrophobic aspect of that, even for people who aren't typically claustrophobic, that would be very difficult to do. But it, it is very common and very frequent in movies, and you don't really see people freaking out about the fact that they're in this tube of death. 
even if it is your only escape and it's a relief to be in this air duct feeling like there is light at the end of the tunnel, it doesn't mean you're not still freaked out by the fact that you're barely squeezing and wiggling through an air duct. All right, now, again, suspension of disbelief. You're just going to have to, I'm not going to keep saying that through the whole episode. So just understand that, yes, I, I am being very hypercritical of things. I understand that. If I wasn't, then I wouldn't have shit to talk about and you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. So deal with it. But... I don't know if you've ever seen how ductwork is hung. You know, it's very light, very light sheet metal that is used to make these ducts. So the hangers and the wires that are coming down from the primary ceiling, like maybe above a drop ceiling or whatnot, that's not designed to hold the weight of a body at any point of that duct. All these movies make it seem like the duct is perfectly surrounded by structural supports or it's basically just going through another bigger rectangle of concrete to keep it in place no all of these people would fall break through the duct almost instantly and and crash down violently probably injuring themselves badly so crawling through an air duct is obviously not something that anybody would really have a good time handling the situation the way that these people do in the movies. Also, you would not make it very far before plummeting. So another very commonly used technique in action and thriller movies, even probably horror movies, and it's used so frequently that it's been parodied and made fun of so many times, it baffles me that people and directors to this day still use this technique because it's become a bit of a joke, and that is the slowly walking away from an explosion as it blows up behind you. Yes, I understand. It's it's a cool visual for the camera to capture. First off, if you know something is about to explode behind you, whether it's a car or even if a fucking can of baked beans was about to explode behind me, let alone a car or a building, I would still run from that son of a bitch before it exploded. I'm not taking any chances to slowly walk away. Now, I know slow motion increases that, but none of these people are walking at a pace that would even be considered exercise. These are just people who are casually walking away. Their back of their head would probably, in real life, if you looked at the back of their heads after the explosion, they would have no hair. There would just be a big bald spot with these singed little curly edges where the entire backside of their body was incinerated and singed so that's really stupid it's just hollywood enough of that we're we're done seeing people slow walk away from explosions please stop doing it another dumb thing that bothers me now this this would apply to both tv and movies and i will use a tv show but a tv show that is done cinematically for this example and that tv show would be the walking dead now the walking dead i gave up on I don't know. I may have made it. I I made it to whenever Negan came around. I think I watched his first season and after that struggled with the next season. It it got just so splintered with all of these stupid storylines, but I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of why The Walking Dead went to shit and why I will never watch another minute of The Walking Dead again. However, one thing that always irritated me about The Walking Dead was, for example, and for those of you who watch the show will know what I'm talking about, but you can you can apply this to just about every other apocalyptic movie, zombie movie, things like that where people are living after the fact. Carol, one of the main characters on Walking Dead, had this kind of 
her own like style of a very short haircut, a short woman's haircut, what you might call a sensible haircut. But it was always perfectly manicured. This is apocalyptic times. I assure you, you no Floby. Well, and that's assuming you even have power. I'm sure batteries and electricity are hard to come by, as are razors. Just like there's a black priest on The Walking Dead. I don't re- recall his name. He's relatively insignificant for the most part, as compared to the other characters. But his head was always pristinely shaven. Always, not even like a five o'clock shadow of stubble on his head. In addition to that, his face was always cleanly shaven with this neat little, I believe, a goatee that he had. But that ain't happening, people. Look, I keep my hair very basically completely buzzed down or completely razor shaven. And I do that because, as I've said, and as I always make the joke, the more hair I grow, the balder I look. I am a balding man. That's fine. Multiple times I've tried to grow my hair out like, fuck it. I don't give a shit what society thinks or what society says. I I should be able to grow my hair however I want. But inevitably within like 30 to 60 days, I catch sight of myself in certain lighting in a mirror and I'm like oh my god where is my razor that said if the world has basically come to an end and I am a part of a handful of survivors I would look like fucking Willie Nelson okay I don't give a fuck and again a lack of supplies skizzers I know that's not how it's pronounced razors all I mean and just the whole joy of electric trimmers do you know how hard it is to use like an actual blade razor if you haven't buzzed the hair down to as short as possible that ain't good that's just ripping that shit out for the most part all that to say if you're making a movie I don't know why I think anyone who makes movies is listening to this to take my advice. And chances are, if they are, I've probably pissed them off and they're definitely not going to take my advice. But if you're doing a post-apocalyptic movie and it's more than, say, a week or two after the the apocalyptic event has happened, don't have people cleanly shaven. Don't have haircuts look like they just left salon lofts because that ain't real. That's an easy thing for you to do to actually set the environment properly and realistically and better engage your crowd to make them feel like perhaps this could happen to them. That's what you're trying to do. If not, then what you are making is like a sci-fi movie or something like that, and that's fine. Now you can basically, like I said with Star Wars, when when you're doing sci-fi or deep far into the future, things like that, you, you have a very small set of limitations that you have to adhere to, because how would anyone be able to say what society or circumstances would be like, what technology would be like? So you have a lot more wiggle room. Speaking of which, I do think it's funny, uh, about two weeks ago... I was watching the original Blade Runner movie with Harrison Ford, which, fantastic movie. Even the new one that they made, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, from The Notebook, I think. I don't know. I'm not even going to look it up. Anyway, they made a new Blade Runner, and I hadn't seen it yet because the last time I saw the original Blade Runner was so long ago, I always kind of wanted to re-watch Blade Runner before I watched the new one. Hadn't gotten around to it until recently. Finally rewatched the old Blade Runner. It was very interesting to see that there was a scene in a bar where the main character, Harrison Ford's character, is making a video call 
to someone from a bar. There were no devices in people's hands. It was basically a payphone that he went up to in a bar. And back then to them, this was like what the future could be like. And back then people saw that and was like, oh, that would be crazy, man. Go into a bar and like get to see someone on like a TV screen. That's crazy, man. But look where we're at now. The idea of a payphone with a screen on it in a bar would appall most people and they would not use it because it is a total lack of privacy, at least compared to what we have now. I just, that was an aside, a little rabbit hole, that's fine. But at least, again, they were trying to be creative because you don't really know what the future holds from a technology perspective. And therefore the audience can only have so much, if any, expectation for what they could consider to be plausible or not. And I guess plausibility, that's a good word to encompass what I'm trying to discuss here is for these movies that they want to serve you a fictitious story in a fictitious setting, but they want to engage you as well and make you feel like you're a part of the story while you're watching it, or at least make you connect and sympathize to the characters and the situation in which they are. That was so dumb, I can't believe I went out of my way to not end a sentence in a proposition. It will never happen again, I apologize. But plausibility is kind of what they're going for. That's, I guess, what what I've been discussing up to this point is plausibility. And there's no plausibility of people walking away from an exploding building six feet away from the building, not even looking back, not running, not taking cover. That's not plausible. The fact that someone's primary goal every day is to survive and not be eaten by a zombie, the the fact that they have perfectly groomed facial hair or a perfect haircut every time you see them, that's not plausible. Here's another thing I don't think is plausible. Many of you will disagree, but ghosts and demons... All right. I've briefly touched upon this in the past. I really don't believe in that type of stuff. As a matter of fact, years ago, I went and stayed in some of the most haunted hotels and haunted rooms in Ohio. I went and visited haunted graveyards, haunted roads, haunted bridges, all of this different stuff. I even went so far in some of these haunted rooms that I was staying in to have my Ouija board and to really try and piss off whatever spirit was supposed to be in there to just make anything happen. Nothing happened. With all of the modern technology that we have, with all of the modern audio and video equipment that we have, and all of these ghost shows that luckily I think those have kind of stopped because they just, they wore themselves thin. It was always the same thing. The the most profound moment of an hour-long episode of Ghost Hunters or whatever these shows were would be like them standing in some cellar with this audio device and you'd hear... And they'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, did you hear that? Oh, my God, oh, my God, we got to get out of here. And then they would listen back to it, and it would go, oh, my God, I think that was the the ghost of the gentleman who used to live here. He had a tracheotomy and was well-known for only being able to make the sound. That must be him. No, that's not proof. It's just fucking sounds that you picked up and that you interpreted a certain way to meet your need. But so many movies are made, even dramatic ones or comedic ones that are around the idea of ghosts or spirits or demons or things like that. And don't get me wrong. I love a great, well done, scary ghost story. Love it. 
it just doesn't have plausibility to me. But I can still get into it as long as, you know, the mood is right, the filming is right, the tension is right. But no, I don't believe in ghosts or demons. And as I mentioned earlier about rom-coms and dramatic movies that involve love stories and things like that, most of that stuff isn't that plausible either. It's, again, such a perfectly crafted situation, and it's so sad that people are frustrated with life because life doesn't work out for them the way that the movies portray like it can. This this could be you. And, and you get so involved and emotionally invested into that movie or the, those characters that you envision yourself in that situation. And now you're sad that you're not in that situation or sad that you've never had that type of love or that type of romantic coincidence that turned into the love of a lifetime. That doesn't happen for just about everyone. But constantly, people are trying almost to script their own lives nowadays. And don't get me started on social media. Sushmeet! But that is a, a very bad space that people are trying to script their lives and appear the way they want to appear. Say the words all edited and revised just like a script the way that they want you to hear them. It's not their true self. But we've gotten to this point where we have almost lived thousands of lives vicariously through all of these different films and cinematic and TV experiences that we almost expect our lives to somehow mirror or mimic what we know is fiction and fantasy. It's very odd, very odd. And before I wrap up here, I guess a, a couple last things that I would like to discuss that I think are peculiar. Um, one of them, maybe peculiar isn't the right word, it, montages. Montages are just blurring and rushing. Like if you don't know what a montage is, that would be like where Rocky is training and there's like a song and there's all these different clips of him, you know, one on the beach pulling uh, Santa's sleigh with a rope while he jogs or one of him standing in the ring in the gym while Mickey, the old white man, punches away at his stomach. It's all these different clips and things happening to kind of show a variety of things and also to cover a wide period of time. But that's just so weird. That is so far from life. That's not how we look at life is in just these little 30-second snippets from each week. And then if you look back and made a montage of your last six months with those 30-second snippets from each week, what would that look like? That would be very odd. It probably wouldn't be very themed, at least not in the regard of that. So montages, I don't really have a problem with montages. I understand moving a story along. I do think montages have a purpose, but... From a plausibility perspective, the fact that you would have that perfectly chronicled set of moments in life to be able to put together this perfect montage is very unlikely. And the last thing I want to talk about is something that I am hugely passionate about, but is also kind of peculiar with films, if you think about it. It's soundtracks and scores. I would love nothing more than to be a professional movie score composer and producer. I have listened to soundtracks and the scores of movies ever since I was a little kid. Other kids were buying rock and roll albums. I was buying Danny Elfman from different Tim Burton movies and things like that. I love soundtracks and scores, but that's also not how life works. Now, we do occasionally, you know, if you're in a certain mood, you might have a song or a go-to. You look at things like wedding receptions where first dances and things like that. That's almost like creating a score or a soundtrack to an extent, 
But just think about if you went to work tomorrow and when you got there, all of a sudden, you know, there was a four piece string quartet following you around. And depending on things you did during the day, the music could be soft and and soothing or it could be frantic and up tempo. That would be very, very strange. So it's weird how our brains really don't even think about the fact that when there's a soundtrack or a score in a movie or a TV show, we almost expect it. It would be more odd in, in most films for there not to be a soundtrack or when there's moments where there is no soundtrack. I mean, be aware, try and be cognizant the next time you're watching a TV show or a movie, even a reality show, there is soundtracks and things that they've got going on. And imagine if that was just gone, would it change the way that you interpret and react to and engage with the movie? It probably almost most definitely would. That said, love soundtracks, love scores. I have no feedback or advice for any filmmakers out there other than call me if you want a score done. It may suck, but at least let me try. I hope I have not ruined movies or films or TV shows completely for everyone. I'm sure some of you may now be more cognizant of these things I've discussed when they happen. You're probably not as critical as I am and like to the point where I can't take it anymore and I will refuse to finish watching a TV show or a movie no matter how invested I am because it has lost so much plausibility. To me, that's just kind of weak writing. So hopefully I haven't messed stuff up for you with your enjoyment of movies and TV shows. If I have, sorry, not sorry. I'm Jeff. What's that? And I'm Jeff. Good night.